0: This is Maureen Milliken, and this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. And we're back in our studio at Think Tank Co-working on the frozen banks of the wintry Royal River in Yarmouth. Yes. After our episode last week from the road, <laughs> and our it episode the week before that from a long drive. Oh, the longest drive ever! And the episode the week before that from Mom and Dad's living room. Oh, no, wait, last week was in Mom and Dad's living room, and the week before yes, that was... Yes, because we
1: switched, because we had done the Jim Jones one, but then we decided to do our road one first, if so... If that's t-
0: TMI for you guys, too bad. Because, as always, this is the podcast... That well, you would do if you had nothing better to do. Right. People don't want to know how the sausages are made.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that they're, they're, they're always wondering, <laughs> wow, I wonder how those girls... Women, What they do behind the scene at that podcast because <laughs> it's so technically... <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, so. so here we are. Yes. So And a few things have happened in the past week or so. The biggest things, not crime involved, that we want to talk about are a couple mm-hmm. of deaths. Yeah, First Mike Connors who played Mannix. Yeah Mannix. And Mike Connors wasn't his real name and I'm sorry I can't I didn't can't even remember. know he
1: was still alive
0: though. I mean he like, was that sounds bad but he hadn't been in anything for a long time. No he had Didn't we have a pet named Mannix like a cat? I don't know. Or something at one point. I do not think so. I think we did. Uh, one of our short term cats. Maybe. We had a short-term cat. I don't know. Or maybe it was just a toy. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> An imaginary pet of mine I, um, that you don't remember. Man, I, I'm pretty I, sure I be do. That a good name, though. But he was of Armenian descent. Ah. And I read in his obit, born into Fresno, California's Armenian Interesting. community. And I can't remember what his real name was, but of course it had to get changed to Mike Connors because he can't have somebody with a incredibly ethnic name be an actor. Yeah. yeah, but nowadays the Kardashians... Yeah, nowadays, you, and they're so such talented actors, they turn turned the <laughs> tables. Every Armenian name ends in I-A-N, I know that, because way. an Armenian man told me that. Ah, I just figured it out. I figured it out for myself. But one of the notable things about Mannix, besides the fact that we used to like watching it, because I don't know. I love that show. One of the notable things was the secretary, played by Gail Fisher, was black, and she was one of the first. And we kind of talked about this with our cop show discussion a few episodes ago about the emergence of race. And and she was one of the first black women to play a role like that on TV. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. she did a nice job. She was a very good secretary. He, oh yes, she yes. nursed his they wounds. They used to call
1: them secretaries. Well, they kind of had this undercurrent. current. Uh, right, but they could never get together no. because Maybe she was they very. Did and we never saw it.
0: She was stern and nurturing at the yes, same time. That's him. what all men like him need. And you know who else died was Mary yes, Tyler Moore.
1: So sad. She could turn the world
0: on with her. Smile. Yes, I used to love that theme song. Yeah, the one from the first season. Yes. How will you make it on your own? This world is off. I'm not gonna sing it. I keep saying yes. I know you do. It's but that's your favorite word. It's because you're a green I'm just a girl that
1: can't sing no. <laughs>
0: I know, that's what they say. But um. she was very <laughs> <happy>. <laughs> She was what? Was I really <laughs>
1: I loved... No, I loved that show. I think a lot of people did, but we. I loved her from... to Van Dyke. Dyke. We... Nah nah, da And she, she was pretty danny. funny By in that song. show. <laughs> she had a good... She like, well, oh, I know. I mean, you know... It was, I liked everything people in that People were their gender show.
0: roles. When I was a little kid, I used to love Buddy and Sally. Buddy and Sally.
1: Laura was... She was good. She was funny. Her Millie. I liked Millie. But Laura was, you know, she was a little bit different than some of the wives of the time if you watch TV shows from that era, like Donna Reed or Barbara Billingsley. Was that the name of the one on? I can't
0: remember what show she was on, but I know what you're saying.
1: They always wore dresses, but she
0: always wore those capri pants. I was going to say, I always picture her in capri pants. And Rob was a different father from a lot of those shows, too. It showed him at his job as a comedy writer. Which was yes. different from these mysterious jobs. Their relationship, even though it
1: was a you know a product of the times where he was the dominant one, he <laughs> still seemed a little bit more. They seemed more friends. You you could see their chemistry
0: too together. That's true. It wasn't just some made for TV couple like the feeling you got in a lot of sixty shows. Yeah, TV to me shows. you could
1: see that they had a, and they had a, They affection. do say they had a crush on each other, but they never acted on it. But they did obviously to me. A, It always seemed like they, you know, they had a friendship as well as being married. And their characters, as well as in real life, obviously, they were friends. But even the husband and wife characters were more friends-type husband and wife than, than a lot of characters at the time. Later on, there were a lot of couples that were like that, like Bob and Emily, Newhart and stuff. But or, It wasn't one were, of those
0: patriarchal-type yeah, families. Or just
1: cold, kind of. Even like, though they
0: did have twin beds. Yeah, But hand, everybody yeah. in the 60s TV. That was, that's so weird. Except for Macmillan and Wife, I think maybe broke the mold. that you No, the show Brady them Bunch did. B-
1: oh. That was the first one, I believe. I did not yeah. know
0: that. Wow. That
1: was the first
0: one. Well, and that's because Robert Reed was, uh, he was okay, gay. Anyway, he was gay, He was gay, so they could get yeah. them into bed together. But that was... Uh, but
1: we can talk about the Brady
0: Bunch some other time. We can. There's a lot to say, actually, about the Brady we Bunch. We should have a show about the Brady Bunch. We should bunch have sometime. a show about the Brady Bunch, because there is a lot to say. Anyways. And Florence Henderson just died. Oh, my poor. She was one of the last deaths of 2016. Yes, she was. That's right. Anyway, so... So Do we have anything else that's been going on with us or our podcast that we need to talk about before we delve into our... Well, one thing I don't want to talk about is politics because I'm just done with it. We're not... Okay. I'm not done with it. I mean, I'll always be... We're not. We won't be done. We're not going to talk about it on this podcast. No. There will be nothing close to politics. Not that
1: anyone has said anything to us about our last one. No. No, all our
0: emails have been positive. <laughs> <All our emails. laughs> then I'll just dive. Why don't you dive right in? Dive your, right into our. So this week, Mo uh, Maureen. You can call me Mo. Mo, all my friends do. Uh, you're supposed to make some joke about me not having know. any friends. I was going to say I don't <laughs> think your cat can talk.
1: <laughs> but you look so
0: sad when I said that. You're thought of my friends.
1: Anyway, so Mo's going to do...
0: But, you know, that's the great thing about family. They have to be your friend, whether you like it or no, not. Don't, we
1: don't really have to, no. No,
0: no I, I guess you don't have but
1: we so that means But I, we have to be... We can't get rid of you either. That that's either. right.
0: They so have to take you in. What is it? your... Well... It's a complex tale okay. that was just resolved this past week or the week before. Is that when this podcast drops, it'll be a couple weeks, so there may, be, there may be updates between when we record this and when it broadcasts, and if so, we'll update it next week. But it's the resolution of one of the biggest mysteries that the state of New Hampshire law enforcement has ever dealt with. Ooh. It's not the complete resolution, though, and you'll see more.
1: Oh, no, I can't wait. So
0: why don't I get right to it? Yes, it seems, looks like a long one. <laughs> That's what <laughs> she said. <laughs> 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 That's sad.
1: We crack ourselves back. I know,
0: we're, we're so funny. Yeah. In 2014, Lisa, a married mother of three in California, decided to find her birth parents and submitted her DNA to an adoption website that helps families connect. Lisa had been abandoned in a trailer park in June 1986 in California. She was six years old at the time and she was abandoned by the man she knew as her father, Gordon Jensen, as he called himself at the time. He worked at the trailer park as a handyman and he left her with another couple at the park and took off after suspicions were raised about his relationship to Lisa.
1: You mean suspicions about who he was in relation to her? Yes, as
0: well as possible abuse. Oh, okay. The story, and this is a quote from ForensicMag.com, a website that actually has some really neat stuff about crimes and some good details about this one. I'll
1: have to keep it in mind.
0: So so ForensicMag.com reported on January 26th, the day what you're going to hear about in a few minutes, (laughs) bro. The story of abuse she told her new family and authorities led to felony arrest warrants for him. Mm -hmm. And this is for Gordon Jensen. Fingerprints taken from the trailer where he lived with Lisa. Matched those of Curtis Kimball, who had been arrested in Cypress, California, in 1985 on a drunken driving charge, endangering the welfare of a child and some other related charges. Lisa was with him at the time of his arrest in 1985. He took off, changing his identity. After he abandoned Lisa in 1986, police issued a warrant to charge him with abandonment. That's one of those words I've trouble saying. Abandonment. Abandonment of the girl. They used booking photos to identify him not only as Kimball, Curtis Kimball, but as Gordon Jensen and also as Bob Evans, a man who had disappeared from New Hampshire on, and wanted was wanted on charges there hmm. a few years before. So this was in 1986. Okay, He was arrested in November 1988 in San Luis Obispo, California for driving a vehicle that he had stolen in I- Idaho. I think it's San, San Luis Obispo. San Lu- San Luis Obispo. I I can't pronounce California. You know, I spent so many years thinking La Jolla, California was pronounced La Jolla Jolla. 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 and not knowing people were talking about the same place. But then, you know, don't come up here to Maine and call Calais Calais either. I'm just saying. I understand. So back to the story. The man who owned the car that had been stolen knew the man who stole the car. Gary Mockerman, according to Forensic. That's from Forensic Mag again. And it was the same Gordon Jensen, Curtis. Oh my God, how do they keep track of all his names? I know. Names? Well, but for simplicity's sake, we're going to call him Bob Evans. Okay. And you'll see why in a few minutes. All right. But in any case, he was picked up in November of 1988 with that stolen car. And they found out he was the same guy who had abandoned the little girl under another name in the trailer park. And He was convicted of the abandonment charges and some other ones. He was sentenced to three years, and he was paroled in 1990. He wouldn't be heard again for more than a decade, but when he did... It was a doozy.
1: Okay, can I ask a question? Yes, you can. So he was a, ar- and you might this might be answered later in your story. It may be. Story. It's a very complicated. But he, uh, so he was
0: convicted for abandoning her. Mm-hmm. But did they assume he was her biological you, father? You will find out. Okay. Because he he passed her off as his okay. biological daughter. And back They're, then, it
1: wasn't like DNA tests were done all the time. So. They
0: weren't done. In 1986, they weren't being all. Oh, it was 86. I'm sorry.
1: I was thinking it was 1990. In
0: 1990, he was paroled from prison. Okay, never Took mind. off. Lisa, at this point, she had lived with a foster family. It's not clear how long she was with the family who he abandoned her to, but she was with a foster family, and then she was adopted. Okay. And to what is reportedly a loving family. She got married, has three kids, and according to her, her life is good. good. Meanwhile, Lisa found out in 2015 that her biological mother was Denise Bowden, a 23-year-old who disappeared from Manchester, New Hampshire with Evans in 1981, as well as her six-month-old daughter, Dawn. So she found this out through... She had submitted, I'm sorry, it's a tangled tale, but I'm at sorry. the beginning, when I started, she had submitted her DNA to an adoption Oh, okay. I'll get to that, how that happened. I'll trust you. So, she discovered in 2015 that her biological mother was Denise Bowden, a 23-year-old who disappeared from Manchester, New Hampshire with Evans in 1981, along with her six-month-old daughter, Dawn. Lisa was Dawn. Ooh. Nobody had ever heard from Denise Bowden again. Denise's family had spent Thanksgiving 1981 with Denise and Evans, they tried to visit her on December 1st of that year to find them gone, and that was according to the New Hampshire Union leader, which is based in Manchester. They had a nice timeline about this on their website. The family didn't immediately report Denise and her child missing. She and Evans had financial problems, and they assumed she was fleeing those problems. In fact, Bowden wasn't officially listed as a missing person in New Hampshire until December twenty-eighth, two 2016. Wow. So that was 35 years. Geez. I know. You Thanks, kind of, family. And that was while this was being resolved, so you kind of wonder if that was the cart putting after the It just the always seems weird, like if if somebody in your
1: family, I mean, I know our family. all families are different. It depends on the family dynamics, yeah. I
0: would say. But a little over a month ago was when she was reported missing in 35 years. So Lisa's search for her birth parents was also of interest to the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department in California, which was trying to solve its own cold case mystery of the little girl who had been abandoned in the trailer park in 1986. Hmm. They knew she was the little girl. They were trying to find out who her parents were. By then it was obvious Bob Evans wasn't her father. In fact, it was determined in 2003... That Lisa was not his biological daughter. Bob Evans was the name he had gone by Mm -hmm. in California. He was Gordon Jensen by the time he was in the trailer park. Yeah. The sheriff's department worked with Lisa to help determine who her parents were, and the DNA she provided linked her to relatives in New Hampshire cousins and aunts and uncles. Oh, okay. Last summer in 2016, that's when they found out her mother was Denise Bowden. I think I said 2015 or earlier, but yes. it was 2016. And once that was established, so this was several months ago, the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department notified New Hampshire authorities that they had discovered the baby that had disappeared in 1981. Lisa's search also led to something much bigger. The resolution of a multiple murder case that has haunted New Hampshire for three decades And the revelation of Evans, just one of many aliases, as you can see, as a serial killer of women and children in both New Hampshire and California. Wow. Yeah. Didn't see that coming, did you? Or maybe you did. Well, I read the article, but I haven't read a lot about it. Before Lisa's DNA search, before Evans was put away for abandoning Lisa, before even he had abandoned her, there were the bodies in the barrels. One of New Hampshire's enduring and saddest cold cases. Ah. Before I go farther, a little bit about New Hampshire. Don't you hate that when you're getting into this exciting stuff? And no, uh, no, we're going to go on a little okay. tangent. To most of the country, or the world for that matter, the six New England states may seem interchangeable Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, and New Hampshire. Mm. Not New York. Some people think New York's a yeah. New England state, which is weird, I don't even but it's not. Connecticut. Sorry, Connecticut. No. But they all stick up out of the northeast corner of the country and they probably seem to most people like a mix of pretty foliage and white houses and church steeples and stone fences and lobster boats, liberal politics. Yeah. Ski areas. Well New Hampshire not so much. But. Right. Well it does. It's in this past election. In fact, New Hampshire was the first state ever, and this was in two thousand twelve to elect an all female oh, congressional that's true. They delegation. Did have them. And they elected a female governor They, like Vermont and Maine, the two northern New England states that are on either side of it, their politics may be considered conservative in some ways, but they also have this flinty individualism and pragmatism in a lot of ways. They're three of the least religious states in the Union, Hmm. according to the Pew survey. I wasn't going to go into all that, but I will say the three states, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and northern New England, while they have distinct personalities, they share qualities like mostly white populations. They're three of the whitest states in the Union. They have stunning scenery. They have a couple of large population centers, but are mostly rural, small towns. They also have low crime rates and particularly low murder rates. New Hampshire is the closest to the Massachusetts Eastern Population Center of Boston and its suburbs, so it's benefited or suffered, however you want to look at it, by more of an influx of Boston area commuters and stuff. And it's slightly more dangerous than Vermont and Maine. Vermont according to 2014 statistics, was the safest state in the United States Hmm. with 99.3 violent crimes per 100,000 people. Maine was next with 127.1 violent crimes per 100,000 people. Hmm. Then came Wyoming, and then New Hampshire with 196.1 violent crimes per 100,000 people. That said, New Hampshire usually has about 12 to 15 murders a year. New Hampshire actually had 16 murders in 2016. That a lot of them are in Manchester, the Manchester area, and they're drug-related. But low crime and a low murder rate does not mean New Hampshire doesn't have its share of out-of-the-ordinary murders. Notable ones include the 2001 murder of Dartmouth College professors Hef and Suzanne oh, Zantop. yes, I
1: remember
0: I, that one. That was by Vermont teenagers Jimmy Parker and Robert Tulloch. They stabbed them to death because the Xantops were nice enough to invite them into their home. The boys pretended they were doing a study for school, a science study, and half of Xantop was a geology professor at Dartmouth. And the couple invited them in, and the boys stabbed them and hacked them to death. Ugh. They didn't know them. They were just bored, basically, and wanted to kill someone. It was a case they of. killed each other. It was, it was a, case, a case of, of one kid being a psychopath, another one being a follower, yeah. and. In 1997, disgruntled Bo New Hampshire resident Carl Draga gunned down two state troopers, a newspaper editor, mm. and a Colebrook town official who'd been instrumental in a zoning ruling that went against him on land he owned uh. up there in Colebrook. Before he was killed by police, after a chase across the state line into Vermont, he also wounded three other law enforcement I officials. I remember that one, too. In August 2015, Denise Robert, a former ad saleswoman at the New Hampshire Union Leader, the state's largest newspaper, was taking her evening walk down the street in Manchester's well-to-do North End when she was gunned down, a killing that has not been solved and seems to have few leads. Did you know her? No, I didn't. I knew who she was. I worked there, but... um, That's weird it was weird and it's something How that we'll sad. probably have to talk about sometime soon but no
1: can you imagine? you're just going for your evening walk yep. in new hampshire
0: they don't think it was a random crime oh, so new huh. hampshire may not have a lot of murders but the ones it has tend to stand out the Beerbrook brook bodies though stood out more than most simply because of the mystery surrounding them in 1985 some kids found a steel drum on bear brook state park in Allenstown, new hampshire about 15 miles north of manchester they rolled the drum around a little but moved on after it popped open and a garbage bag fell out. Ugh. A few days later, on November 10, 1985, a hunter came across the barrel and bag and discovered they contained what turned out to be the remains of a woman in her 20s or 30s and a young girl oh. probably about 10 years old. The remains were dismembered, and the medical examiner determined that the two had been beaten to death, specifically blunt force trauma to the head, and that they were probably killed between 1980 and in 1984. And when
1: were they found again? I'm sorry.
0: November nineteen eighty five.
1: If they were there that long How could the forensics how do they tell that they've been beaten to death? Their oh, skulls their skulls are force okay. Well, to well, the pres- head. okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, sorry I didn't That's think. one of the few causes of death that can be determined from Sometimes skeletal stabbing remains.
1: Too, yeah. Sometimes
0: stabbing if there's if it, if hits, it hits the bones, bones and okay, stuff. Yeah. Okay. But never mind. DNA tests later showed the woman and girl were related. In 1985, DNA testing was in its infancy, and that wasn't an immediate finding. Mm. But police release of composites of what they may have looked like or any pleas for information produced nothing. Police canvassed schools a nearby trailer park where at least one sex offender lived, and their search even went into Quebec, which borders New Hampshire to the north, but they got no results. In 2000... Fifteen years later, a police detective new to the cold case of the remains of the woman and child, John Cody, found another 55-gallon barrel about 100 yards from where the first one was found. It included the remains of two young girls between 2 and 6 years old. DNA tests showed that the younger one was related to the woman found in the barrel 15 years before and the girl found in the barrel 15 years before. The other girl was not related to those three. And Ah. their cause of death of the two younger girls has never fully been determined, although it, later tests determined it was p- probably blunt force trauma.
1: So, so
0: he found the barrel in 2000. Mm-hmm. He must have gone back... He was new to the case and he was going back to familiarize himself. Oh, with, with the area with the area. Police believe the two drums were dumped together, but the second one was moved by the children who were playing with it in 1985. Mm. Or rather the first one, the one that was found first. Cody said he wouldn't have expected the second drum to be found during the 1985 investigation because it was far enough away not to be part of the crime scene. He told that to the Boston Globe in 2015. Maybe he's the killer. Well, you'll see. When he found the second steel drum, his first thought was that the area was a dumping ground for a serial killer. Ah. Ah. Cody told the Boston Globe in 2015 that the case still haunts him. It always sticks in my head, Cody said. Mm. There's somebody out there. Did they basically get rid of their entire family and just start over? And are they now living with someone? It's a scary thought. And he was right. But that wouldn't be determined for another year and a half. In the meantime, theories abounded. A nearby convenience store, which burned down in 1983, drew a lot of truckers from nearby Interstate 93. The trailer park near the property was home to a lot of unsavory characters. The owner of the property the second drum was found on told the Boston Globe. When I say the second drum, I mean the first drum. The first drum was found on private property abutting Bear Brook State Park. And the first drum is the one, the one that with had the, had the woman, woman and the baby. Yeah, and the see, you can see why this drum gets confusing. Is the one with the two younger girls. Okay. And one of the younger girls is related to the woman yeah, so and the ten-year-old,
1: and they think they were dumped at the, probably at the same time. They were dumped together. Right, they think right.
0: now they were dumped together and at the same uh, time. And the and the barrels got separated. Yes, okay. by time and then it's wooded recreational area, you know, where people would be hunting and snowmobiling. It's not aside from that trailer park, it's not a residential area, even though. Bob Evans, who had disappeared with Denise Bowden and her baby in 1981, had done electrical work for Edward Gallagher, the owner of the property that abuts the park, as well as at the nearby trailer park. He was kind of a handyman. He was not linked to the remains found in the park. At the time, nobody thought of Bob Evans as part of this crime.
1: I guess why would they? I mean... They didn't know who the victims were. That's the problem, you know. If you don't know who the victims are, it's hard to... And that
0: is why it was so hard for them to solve that. They put out these composites of the woman and the children. Nobody reported the missing. They couldn't find any missing children. They couldn't... I mean, this is three kids. Yeah, I know. Women disappear and sometimes aren't reported, but this is a 10-year-old and two... Younger kids, and yeah. also
1: the fact that one of them wasn't her daughter. So you think maybe it was a friend, a friend of the family, or something,
0: or not related to her.
1: <laughs>
0: You'll see. It's okay. a very, it's very know, complicated. I but I promise you, by the end, I'll tie it all together. So Gallagher, the landowner, told the Boston Globe in 2015, "You just hope somebody on their deathbed admits to something. How do you run around with all the skill in your head?" Well, it turns <laughs> out police didn't get a deathbed confession. Fortunately. They didn't need one. Well, that's good. In November 2015, on the 30th anniversary of the first remains being found, authorities announced they had used not only DNA but oxygen isotope analysis which examines hair, teeth and bones to wow. determine where victims had lived based on the drinking water. Oh
1: my god. I know that's
0: pretty cool, isn't wow. it? It's actually a little more complicated than that, yeah, but, but I don't understand <laughs> exactly how it works. It's so but members of the New Hampshire State Police, the FBI and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reviewed the data, including the isotope analysis and also deeper mitochondrial DNA now that DNA science has advanced, it determined that the oldest girl was between nine and a half t- to ten and a half years old with light brown hair and double pierced ears who might have been suffering from pneumonia. The other two what? were a brown haired. They knew all that. Yep. Yeah. The other two were a brown haired three to five year old who had a noticeable overbite. Whoa. She's the one not related to the other two and a two- to three-and-a-half-year-old with fine, long blonde hair and a slight gap between her two front teeth. Aww. The girl, who wasn't related to the others, may have had Native American origins, but all were Caucasian. Hmm. She may have also had lived in Canada, based on the isotope Wow. information. Interesting. And New Hampshire State Police Lieutenant Joseph Ebert told the Boston Globe, This is one of the larger unidentified familial-related sets of remains in the country. It's so difficult for me to wrap my mind around the thought that there was a whole family that disappeared and nobody reported it. Mm. So New Hampshire authorities, around that same time, when they were taking a new look at the case in 2015, given the new scientific evidence, also began to wonder if Bob Evans was tied to it, given the information they had recently found out about lisa yep. who had been baby gone okay, yeah who had lived with bob evans
1: Which,
0: yeah wow to recap because i know it's complicated okay. lisa had been abandoned at the age of six by the man In she 19- thought was her father 86. right who okay. wasn't calling himself bob evans at the time but other criminal charges when he had previous aliases yes. determined he was So Lisa turned out to be the daughter of the woman that was missing, Denise Bowden, Denise, who is not who is still who who is still missing is not the woman that was found in Bear Brook State Park and isn't related to any of the to the woman or the children in Bear Brook State Park. Okay, they're two separate things. The woman and the older girl. And the youngest girl are all related. She's their mother, probably. Probably. Presumably.
1: And the other girl's not related to any of them.
0: Right. So in October, Evan's DNA was found to be linked to the older toddler.
1: Oh, so the girl with the buck teeth.
0: Yes. The girl who isn't related to the
1: other three remains. I'm sorry, girl. Dead girl. That was mean, but she did have buck teeth. A noticeable overbite. Well, yeah.
0: So in October, Evan's DNA was found to be linked to her.
1: Okay, so he might be her father. Very
0: likely. Okay, so Senior maybe they had s-
1: some kind of blended family, and then he killed them.
0: Possibly, or it may have been separate incidents. She may have been his daughter from. Uh, she wasn't. She's not the daughter of the woman found there. That's what I'm saying. In but any case, we may never know. Uh, well, we probably will never know. But uh, but there's more here. Okay. Senior Assistant New Hampshire Attorney General Jeff Strelzin said in the January 25th press conference that revealed they felt Evans was responsible for killing those four, possibly responsible for killing Denise Bowden, and they know he's responsible for killing his former wife in California, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh. Quote, We believe we have our killer. He certainly fits the profile of a serial killer, and Bob Evans or whatever his name is has mixed serial killing and domestic violence to a a whole new level. I know he's like two in
1: one, like he's domestic violence, but also a serial killer. And I don't know how many
0: people there are like that. There's some like that are mad. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, there's guys that kill their wives, their whole family. In yes. one straight shot, and there but, are guys that have killed more than one wife, maybe. Right, but this is yes. he's he's so Evans in New Hampshire. An Han- overachiever, right? So Evans and New Hampshire authorities say they're sure that's not his real name. <laughs> died in a California prison under the name Lawrence William Vanner. Jesus. Actually, I don't think it was Lawrence William Vanner. It was Curtis whatever the other name oh, was. Oh, jeez. It's very confusing. He was serving a life sentence in a California prison after being convicted of killing Unsun June, whose dismembered remains were found in September 2002 in the basement of the home she shared with Evans or Vanner or whatever you want to call him. She was under a pile of kitty litter. Oh, They had been married in August 2001 in a backyard ceremony, a marriage that was never legally registered. They had met while he was doing handyman work and repaired her roof, according to ForensicMag.com. She died from blunt trauma to the head, and her killer had attempted to dismember her. So I'm not sure if she was completely dismembered or just partially. June's friends told a local newspaper at the time he was arrested that Evans was a haggard and mean-spirited-looking fella. Yeah, he certainly was. I and just they sus- googled
1: him to see what. And you
0: can like. look at his photo on our website, crimestuffonline and, and they suspected he lied about his background and finances, according to California news reports. Well, that's an understatement. When he was arrested, his fingerprints matched those of Curtis Mayo Kimball. If you remember, he's the guy who, if you go back and back and back, was convicted of abandoning Lisa yes. in the trailer park. His real age was never determined since he gave birth dates ranging from 1936 to 1952, hmm. depending on which alias he was using, according to Forensic Mag. Again, and this is from the Boston Globe. Evans was an alcoholic who stole people's identities and told countless stories about his past, claiming he was born in Wyoming and Texas and that his wife was murdered in Corpus Christi. He was a calculating guy, Streltson said. He didn't give out much information about himself. He was being smart about trying to cover his track. Investigators said that Evans is also an alias, which we've already said, and they do not know what his real name was. They think he might have served in the military, possibly the Navy. This is still from the Boston Globe, in the 1970s, but do not know where he was born or raised before he arrived in New Hampshire in the Hmm. 1970s. This is a guy who is a chameleon, Strelson said. We are all real confident that his real name is not Bob Evans, we don't know how much of a life he had before he showed up in Manchester. When Evans was arrested by Manchester police in 1980 for writing a bad check <sighs> and stealing electricity, he listed his spouse as Elizabeth. That woman has never been located, and it's not known who she is or if she ever existed. New Hampshire authorities, Strelson said, believe Evans killed Bowden around the time she disappeared in 1981. She is not the woman, as we've said, whose remains were found in Bear Brook State Park. On January 17th, before New Hampshire authorities announced that they believed they had solved who killed the women in Bear Brook Park, New Hampshire authorities searched the Manchester home where Bowden last lived with Evans in 1981, but they came up with nothing. Hmm. So, Forensic Mag reports, based on things he said in his history... They believe he may have been in the military, which we already said, perhaps in the U.S. Navy prior to appearing on the New Hampshire radar in 1977. Heavy drinking marked his entire life, including the DWIs. And he also was a drifter with only months at a time in the same place. Almost everyone he met along his travels described him as aloof and strange. Most chillingly, perhaps, and this is still forensic mag, investigators are not only unsure of what the killer's real name is, but they're also unsure of his travels. Beyond California and New Hampshire, he stole a car in Idaho. He is also believed to have potential connections in a wide swath of the rest of the country, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Wyoming, Colorado, Texas, Hawaii, Missouri, Louisiana, Georgia, and Virginia. So this is me again. Strelson at his January 25th press conference asked if anyone knows any more about him to call the New Hampshire State Police or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. In a statement read at that news conference, Lisa described herself as, quote, a victim in this incredulous story and asked for privacy. Incredulous? I've, that's, I'm quoting okay. her. Okay, okay. I can't help, poor Lisa. All this shit she's had heaped on her I, and her to I have to criticize her. She, word I was just criticizing. Her, I was just clarifying. I know, a person is a cred, incredulous, a story is Well, she She may have been know. incredible, but that's a direct quote. And okay. she asked for privacy uh-huh. and also for people not to... Judge, make, her, on judge her, her on her word usage. choice. I'm sorry, Lisa. And here's the rest of her quote. Okay. I have three beautiful children and a loving husband, she Good. said. I presently have a happy and secure life that I want to remain intact. I don't blame her. Meanwhile, the identities of the women and three children whose remains were found in Bear Bearbrook State Park are not known at least of this podcast recording. Joseph Ebert, the New Hampshire State Police Lieutenant who oversaw the case most recently, told the Boston Globe in 2015 that the story, quote, is going to get even sadder. Either we are not going to be able to identify them, or we will, and there will be a backstory to these kids that will break your heart. Aww. And so the New Hampshire authorities, you know, it's a little unsatisfying. They decided 100% that Bob Evans or whatever you want to call him killed these women in the park. They're pretty sure he killed Denise Bowden, though her remains have never been found. They know he killed his wife in California. They have no idea, particularly in that, those 12 years between when he was paroled for the charges of abandoning Lisa and when he was arrested for killing his wife, who he may have killed I'm or sure where he may he have been, people. what aliases he may have gone under. So they're hoping uh, more information comes out. But what they really want to do, what New Hampshire has wanted to do since 1985, is find out who that woman and those three kids found in the park are. Which they, there are composite pictures online. There, I looked up Bob Evans' killer They had Google. composite pictures early on. I started working at the Union Leader in 1987, and we did... A lot of stories on this, and there were initial composite pictures, and then an artist in California who specializes in forensic composites did more in-depth ones. That must be the ones I was looking at. Once the DNA came out, yeah. and those will be on our website too. But anyways, they stressed that the focus now is they want to find out now that they know so much more if anyone can help identify who I this woman so. and these kids are. But the thing is what you know, like
1: just like when Denise Bowden um disappeared, her family didn't report her missing because they just assumed she took off. This other woman, it could have been the same thing. She could have done it before she even had, you know, if they, if she lost touch. The woman family remains, they found. Yeah, the ones that nobody knows. I mean, maybe nobody would have reported these children missing because she may have left where her loved ones before she even had kids. And then that's true. Although she kept to herself and she's with this. Uh, what I don't understand is how a scumbag... A uh, gross, weird guy like that can find three women to marry and kill at, well, at, at least, at least, at least three women. I mean, you women. Can, you know, women. You should follow your instincts and
0: stop. Like, if you think a guy that is weird, don't date him. Well, we don't live with them with their kids. You and I have both known many women in our lives who would rather be with somebody than be alone. And women will attach themselves. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to. Men be, do it
1: too, though. I mean they
0: both. Uh, but in but in this context, yes. women will attach themselves to a man rather than be alone. You know how I can get about this. But society dictates that women it tells them from the minute they're babies that they need to dream about getting married and being a princess, being a princess for a day and finding a man. And even now in 2017. Women are so focused on that that they'll stay with a guy who's abusive. They'll stay with a guy who's a criminal. They'll stay with a guy who treats them poorly. They'll stay with a guy who has all sorts of negatives rather than have the confidence to be by themselves. And part of that is society telling women that there's something wrong with you if you're by yourself and what you really need to do is pair up. Women also think they can save guys. They think they can change them. They seem to see what they think is the good in somebody. And, oh, I know, he's so misunderstood, uh, and all that stupid shit. And they die because of it. And I their know. children die because oh, he's of it. Just gross. He is gross. And... He did gross things. He obviously did gross things to poor Lisa. Uh, who knows what he did to those three little girls? Uh, he uh, killed
1: scumbag.
0: So it's kind of an unsatisfactory yes, ending. Yes, thanks for such a feel-good story. Hey, you know, I just, <laughs> I'm. It's just a ray of sunshine. And well, yeah. I
1: hope at least they find out who who those people. I don't know why, but yeah, it just seems like at least. Finding out who somebody is and, and acknowledging their loss—that that they actually lived and that, that they mattered—of a cliche, but but that, that they mattered. They're woman. obviously not
0: going to bring him to justice, Ugh. but they mattered. People's but lives matter, and people can't be thrown away like garbage. And the then cat litter. What a I know.
1: Sh- asshole! I know it's too bad he died in prison.
0: It is too bad he maybe died. Maybe he would
1: have. Uh, he probably wouldn't have told them anything, though.
0: He probably wouldn't have. He seems like what you heard here is pretty much what's known about him. Hmm. Nobody even knows where he was born, or what year he was. he was born, or what his real name is. Although was. they have
1: his DNA, so maybe they the, the way they found out about
0: It's amazing what they can do with it. No, so, yeah, maybe oh. DNA will help. And it's funny how forensics, not funny, but it's telling how advances in science, DNA science, and the isotope,
1: yeah, science, crazy.
0: ...managed to solve this. You know, this is one that good old gumshoe, old-fashioned detecting, wasn't going to solve. You had three... It's t- also
1: weird. What are the kids that doing it's in it's the woods? Veins. And then
0: you see a barrel and
1: you start playing oh. with it? And then a hunter comes along? I mean, like, that barrel, like, I don't know. It's just weird.
0: It is weird. But it's when weird we were kids, people's we bodies did turn
1: did up stuff. that We played with stuff. You're thinking... It's weird to me that sometimes somebody will be found in a really remote place and you wouldn't expect somebody. They'll just happen upon it. And other times, somebody will be buried somewhere that people are walking by all the time and they, right. and they don't find them
0: encased for years there's cement and years. And years uh. or Look at John Wayne Gacy with all those uh. remains in his God. basement. And Remember
1: that? When the, the, on the and they were taken out
0: just body bag bags after bags. body oh, bag. It. That's oh, that's horrible. horrible. Maybe we can talk Anyways.
1: about it. I don't know. If people talk about him too much. So now, on
0: a brighter note... Okay, so so Um. for this week's recommendations, we're going to talk about TV shows, and you can go first. That we've been watching lately? Yes, and since it's crime and stuff, Yeah, mine mine isn't a crime
1: one. It's a crime It's no
0: longer on. No, why don't you go first?
1: So I watch a lot of Amazon and Netflix, and I was watching Amazon the other day, and notice that that girl is now on Amazon. It wasn't on before. I have DVDs of the first two seasons.
0: How many seasons were there?
1: Five. Mm. It ran from 66 to 71. 1966 to 1971. As opposed to? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, nowadays, I mean, we're well into the 21st century. Mm. So... I enjoyed that show so much. When I was a little girl, I remember watching it because it was on, it was syndicated. I was born in 65, so I was too young to watch it when it was first on. But it used to play during the day or something, because I remember when we lived in Ohio, and we moved from Ohio when I was... In
0: 1973.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when I think back, there are six kids in our family, and we only had one TV. I'm amazed at how many times I remember watching TV by myself. Maybe where other people were. Maybe you just
0: blanked the rest of us out. Yeah, maybe we be. were there and you blanked but, us out of your memory. Anyways,
1: I loved, I loved that show, and I still love that show, even though it is, you know, it's this, it's the mid '60s a late dated. to '60s. It's dated in a lot of ways. Her relationship with her boyfriend, in that. a way, is dated, but in another way, it is kind of progressive, because they never get married. They don't really talk about marriage, and even she though they screw like tigers. They don't show them (laughs) having sex. Sometimes there is a hint of something that they never come out and say but for the most part appearances are very important because there was one i just watched i've been watching the 3rd season cuz i've already watched 1 and 2 on my dvds i can watch over and over and over again so i was watching the 3rd season and she and donald donald her boyfriend works for news not newsweek or newsday it's like it's a fake it's a fake news magazine it's got fake news <laughs> he's a reporter yeah it's got fake news it's got alternate fact alternative facts in it nope. so he has some assignment in L.A. So she goes to L.A. with him. There's this big deal that they have to get separate hotel rooms and blah, 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 and make sure that the man at the desk knows that they aren't together, you know, they're they're not in the same room, she's not his wife, blah, blah, and they're all worried about it, so, which today would seem really funny to most people but you know back then that was something that people worried about people did
0: do appearances
1: and her she i believe she is supposed to be maybe early to mid-20s the storyline is if you've never watched that and you said it's marlo thomas right oh i didn't say that but marlo thomas plays and she had a lot of say i think it's because her father was danny thomas who was very popular wasn't he
0: the producer
1: no he was not Um, It might have been his production company, but it it says who... Okay. uh, When you... uh, I can't remember the name of who created the the show now. But she she wasn't on as one of the producers, but I think she was a producer. She had a lot of say in the storyline, and she did not want... They wanted the last episode or the last season for her character to get married, and she did not want them to get married. She didn't want that to to women watching to think that that was the goal of every woman to be married. Oh, and then, good for her. That yes, kind of ties into she was a we pre, were, She was kind of a feminist for her time. Kind of what we were what talking about were with Bob saying, Evans yes, earlier. that's yeah. true. Yes, very much. The storyline is that she, her character, Anne Marie, her last name is Marie. Her father, that always
0: confused the hell out of me when I was a her kid. Her father
1: owns a French restaurant. She's from a you know, town in, uh, I don't know, one of those, Brewster, Brewster, New York. I don't know where that is. It's if on that's Long Island. Is, um, but he owns a French restaurant named Marie's, and their last name is Marie. But she moves to New York to be an actress, and she gets an apartment, which is a really nice little apartment, I can tell you. As all um, T V New York yes, they are. are. And it was cute. So she does a lot of temp jobs and she does a lot of acting jobs and you know, which are funny, are grist for the comedy and for guest stars coming on of the day, which a lot of them, Ethel Merman was on one of them. I know who she is, but a lot of Broadway people, because it was New York. No, but I just like the show. It's funny. Hannah loves it, my five-year-old. She's soon-to-be six-year-old daughter, and at least I can watch it with her, because there's nothing. I don't need to worry about her learning any bad words or anything. The only thing that would concern me is the sexism that's inherent in something of that time period. Well she's
0: surrounded by sexism anyway.
1: But she but she knows you know, when I was hurried that didn't bother me so much, but I love Lucy used to bother me. The way Ricky treated yeah, Lucy. Ricky
0: was mean. But one thing I have to say that I remember about that girl and I haven't rewatched it, you know, I'm a few years older than you and I watched the originals and I probably watched it in syndication. One thing that I always remember is Donald being exasperated with her. He was a lot, a it, lot this of is nice. just what I remember. I know, I'm not saying it happened constantly, but one of the big things I remember, and her saying, like, oh, Donald, and you kind of sided with her over him, his exasperation, even when I was a little kid, his exasperation was annoying to me that I felt he was kind of square, kind of a stick in the mud. And could have been more supportive and and into her than he was. He was okay
1: though. Yeah, but yeah, Ted I agree. Bessel. But that was again, like I said, that that was the way relationships right. were at the time. Well, nothing
0: like that. One now. episode
1: I thought was kind of funny <laughs> is he had written. She's a reporter, but he also wanted to be a writer.
0: <laughs> a real writer. <laughs> no, he had
1: written a book, and Ann's father had a customer at the restaurant, a regular that was a publisher. He knew he was a publisher. So he oh, lucky! Up. Well, it turns out the guy publishes books that are very sexual. Like he didn't know what type of publisher the guy. Erotica. Yes, I can't remember exactly what happens then, but Donald sex Donald's <laughs> book
0: up. No, his <laughs>
1: book already has sex in it. The book get, does get published, or somebody reads it or something, and Ann's father scandalized. I guess it's a pretty boring story. But anyway. <laughs> cool story, well, what's, your, what's your recommendation?
0: I'm a little late to the party on this, but I just watched the second season of the TV show Fargo. Oh, I've never watched any of it, so I'm and really And I watched the first season quite a while ago. I bought the second one from Amazon Prime because I was just dying to watch it. I figured it was never going to be free anywhere that I could tell. One thing I liked about both the first and second season, first of all, I love the movie Fargo. Yes, and I and, did I, love and that movie. I thought it was really well done. The stylization, the Cone Brothers, the way they stylize, yes. the way they they shoot. <laughs> and I'm not I you know I don't know a lot of the f- terms for film and stuff, but the way they shoot things, that's got a very stylized kind of artistic way of presenting that whole feeling. You have these kind of nice, semi-Minnesota people with their Minnesota accents, North and Dakota. It, well, in The TV show is Minnesota. Why is it called Fargo, then? Because it's kind of, but not really based on the movie. And Fargo does come into play in a couple places. But in any case, people do have... Excuse me. So they have these kind of down-home, northern, Midwest accents that are very distinctive, and they all seem so nice and sweet. And then these horrible, horrible things happen. And so you get that kind of cool, superficial layering of niceness and down-hominess. And then there's just horrific violence underneath. Both TV seasons really captured the feeling of the movie. The Comb Brothers are listed as like executive producers or something, but they didn't play a big part in the TV series. But the series captures both the artistry, the, the photography, as well as that feeling. And both seasons took just normal-seeming people with kind of mundane lives and had them unwittingly get involved in uh, in horrifically violent situations to where they themselves made choices that were laughable and scary and they hmm. end up committing horrific violence not unlike the um, movie the first season took place in the early 2000s and there was a woman a young woman who was a police officer and her dad was a former police officer played by Keith Carradine who ran a diner the second season takes place in 1979, where that father is a state trooper, and she's a six-year-old girl. Okay. And one of the cool things about the second season is the actors in it. You have all these people, and Jean Smart plays the mother of this oh, I love North Dakota crime family, and that is North Dakota, they live near Fargo. And it took me a little while. And one thing I like about Amazon Prime is you can tap the screen because I watch and see who's in the scene. And holy shit, it's Gene Smart playing completely against type and really, really great. Ted Danson plays the father-in-law of the cop, who's played by Patrick Wilson, and I recognize him immediately. But he also plays against type, so there's a lot of that in there, just as in the first season Keith Carradine and Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, that's right. Billy Bob. Billy Bob and he was good. And in this one, it and then Jesse um, Clemens, who was in Breaking Bad and was also in Friday oh, yes, Night Lights. Yes, the T V yes, show Friday yes. Night Lights. And Kirsten Dun and Kirsten Dunst is fantastic as the beautician, Peggy, who is a little nutty and wants to be self-actualized and all those things that people in the 70s wanted to be and just, it's just wild. And I don't want to, I know it came out a couple years ago, and there is a third season coming out that takes place in 2005, I think. But I don't want to be a spoiler, but I will say it is... If you're a fan of the movie, if you're a fan of the first season, the second season does a great job. One thing I will say, there were ten episodes, and towards the end, the amount of carnage and violence got to even me a little bit, and I'm not one who is bothered by that. Yeah. But I, it's finally like, oh, come on, how many people are, are going to get shot? Yeah, how many people are going to get shot? You know, and it was yes. Yeah. And I like the contrast in the show between the nice, sweet Minnesota and North Dakota atmosphere, and then this horrific violence. But it comes to a point where it's just like, oh my god. And maybe part of it was that I I watched three episodes in a row last night, and so it kind of, maybe you need a little bit of a break between episodes to get your head around it. Other than that, it was pitch perfect. It was very interesting that all the bad guys and everything, and this is a tiny bit of a spoiler, but not a bad one, the only two bad guys left standing by the end of the series were uh, an American Indian and a black guy.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Everybody else had been pretty much slaughtered. Well, just the
1: fact that they have... Yeah.
0: There are a couple loose ends. The one in the, the Minnesota, the North Dakota crime family who was left was a 17-year-old kid with Um, I think probably cerebral palsy or some type of thing. Also great, Nick Offerman from Carson Recreation. There was a moment in the final episode where I felt the message was a tiny bit misogynistic. There are strong women in the show, but the Kirsten Dunst character, who obviously had some mental issues and was stuck in that 1970s wanting to be her true self, but being stifled by what was going on around her and expectations and was bitching about it to the police to the policeman Patrick Wilson and he just shut her up with you know people have died and while he wasn't wrong about that i felt like there's this message that that kind of trivialized how unempowered women can feel yeah. in their role and i'm not sure if it could be presented a different way or just because i'm a woman the writer noah holly is obviously a man maybe because i'm a woman i saw that in a more magnified way than it was intended. But that kind of just stuck in my craw a little bit. But other than that, I thought it was definitely worth seeing. I'll have to watch it. You don't have to have seen the first TV series to see the second one. In fact, it might be more interesting to see the second one first and then see the first one. Mm -hmm. But they're both great if you're a fan of Fargo. One little note on that. Both TV series started with the same thing the movie started with, the disclaimer. And I don't, I can't say it word for word, but it was basically, this is a true story. The events happened, the second TV series, it was Minnesota in 1979. At the request of of the survivors, the names have been changed out of respect for those who have killed. Uh, everything else is exactly as it happened. And it's funny, I am am a member of the app Quora, and there was a question, how can they, isn't it illegal for them to say something's true that obviously isn't? And there were a couple, stick up their butt lawyers, who answered the question, saying, you know, it bothers me when things are presented as true when they're not, blah, blah, blah. But, come on people, the shows, obviously, for instance, there was kind of an unnecessary quirkiness thing involving a spaceship that I won't get into. But it's obviously not true. It's not illegal to present fiction as fact. We have a president who does nah. it constantly right now. It's, it's, it's a danger to legislate fiction. Well, and the Cone brothers, and the show carries it on, have a, a really great sense of irony. And you've got to give them credit for giving viewers credit enough to understand that that disclaimer is part of the The ironic overtone in the fiction of the show. It's silly.
1: And I mean like if you're reading a a novel, like say a fake memoir or something, uh, something that you know is a novel, it's in the fiction section, but the narrator says, this is the true story of my life, blah blah blah. You don't say, oh he's saying that this is true and it's a novel. It's like no it's a novel the characters and that's almost like that disclaimer to me is like that's that's an unseen narrator or character saying this is true
0: you know you know right. what i mean in, in fact dickens is one who yes. did that. Yes. And that's a good that's a good way of putting it. And one of the things that I felt was almost a little off, one of the later episodes, it may have been episode nine, opened with a book, True Crime Stories of the Midwest, and this was a chapter in it, and Martin Freeman was the narrator with a very English accent for part of it. And it was that was the only episode that was done in. And one of the things about the Combe Brothers and also about this T V series is they kind of You never really know what to expect, and things work, and that worked on one hand. Now, on the other hand, you know I say a lot about fiction that you want to be pulled in and be part of the story. One thing with this type of thing is you're constantly reminded you're not part of the story, but it's in a good way that you're watching a story. And one of my answer on the Quora that Quora question was a little long, but one of my points was it's up to viewers and readers to educate themselves and to expose themselves to as much art as possible, and TV and movies are art, to to discern for themselves what they're seeing and understand not only what they're seeing on TV and reading, but also what they're seeing in the world around them. And separate truth from fiction. <coughs> well, practice
1: some critical thinking skills, people. Well, that's kind of what I'm... Don't
0: s- just fucking take what you see. Well, I'm so doing oh, against yeah. the law to say it's true. Why don't you just look... Well, and no? the other thing is, you the more you read and the more you expose yourself to, the more you're able to decide what's your cup of tea. Yeah, and you don't need someone to tell you. You can make your own... And if and it bothers you that, that there's that disclaimer at the beginning of every episode of Fargo then it's probably not your cup of tea, and you should be watching CSI or something instead. Well, one thing I'll say that
1: is, is kind of related but not really is... Amazon versus Netflix. I love that Amazon. What does it call? X-ray. Have X-ray. I love that. Oh, I'm constantly. And then when that. I'm watching Netflix, I'll be tapping the <laughs> screen <laughs> trying to guess, <laughs> like who is that? Who is that actress? And I'd be, t- I'll be tapping. i like, shit, I'm on Netflix. So
0: Netflix, you got to get your act together and but get. But one downside work. is this, and it's only some Amazon things, and I don't know enough about how this works. Is I've Google Chromecast, so theoretically. You know, so I can watch things on big screen TV. Fargo was not available for me to Chromecast, so I had to watch it on my iPad with the shattered screen. Oh, yeah. Which isn't isn't that, that bad, but I don't understand why some things on Amazon Prime you can Chromecast. That is interesting. I don't know because I don't have Chromecast. And I don't know what the deal is. I don't know... You maybe one of our listeners can let The us money know. that changes hands. Right. Anybody wants to let us know about that? On maybe. Facebook. So, speaking of technology, you can let us know that on Facebook. Or? Tweet at us. You can go to our website, Crime and Stuff Online. And you can contact us. There's a contact form. You can... Email us at crimeandstuff@gmail.com. G- and that's crime A N D with the word and, correct? And so we're available all over. Yes, we are everywhere. You can't not find us. Yeah,
1: we've made ourselves available to anyone. And if you have any questions, questions for Matt Nichols, if you have any criticisms, what we'd really like. Is for if, you to rate us. Rate us on iTunes.
0: And review us. And review us. Whether it's good or bad, we don't really care. We you, can take it. You can also send us questions for Matt Nichols. Yes. For Ask, Ask a, Ask a lawyer. The lawyer. You can also donate on our website. You can donate at patreon.com. Become yep. a patron where you can get special patron advantages that people who aren't don't get. And
1: you just think of it as as a donation to all the other listeners because we'll try to improve our podcast. Maybe get another microphone. It, that's
0: our dream, to get a second microphone. Yeah. So we don't have to sit in each other's lap to record this. Yeah. And then when Matt's... Matt, and Matt says, has to really sit <laughs> on both of our knees. it's really crowded. He and doesn't if, really like
1: it, but, you know, if he wants to get on our podcast, that's what he's got to do.
0: That's true. He doesn't seem to mind, actually, <laughs> too much. And if you want to find out more about my mystery novels, you can go to MaureenMilliken.com. Yes. And also on our website there are <laughs> there are links to my books and there's also links to some of uh, to Becky's Facebook artist page. Oh yeah. I have an artist a... page. I've yeah.
1: got to work on some
0: stuff. So we're fair. we're Renaissance women. Yeah. We podcast, we write, we create art. We Yeah. I design kitchens. Yeah, yeah. And don't do the thing where you come see you, you design a kitchen, then they take the design and say, thanks for doing that, I'm going to go to Big, oh, that big Orange all the time. Competitor. I don't
1: care about Orange because I know the girls there, but I do care about going to some fucking expensive-ass place that gets commission. The thing that annoys me is i i've been doing this for 12 years yep. i work for a big box by choice people a lot of people look down we don't they don't think we're real designers there are a lot of real designers that work at big you box guys stores for hard. a variety of reasons so if you come in and make me spend my time which i don't charge to do the place that's really doing their kitchen is going to charge them every time they have a change in their design they charge them for their time they charge for the design and then they're going to say well okay if, if you don't like the design i did This is what you're going to have to pay me, whatever they charge for. So instead, they get it the way they like it, and then they go
0: somewhere else. You know, have some loyalty, people. I'm the one that spent hours with you. The other person didn't even spend any It's not just about loyalty. It's about that thing people do where they think that they know all the angles, and they're going to try to get the best bang for their buck by getting a free kitchen design. And it doesn't occur to them that by doing that, they're wasting your time. They're, in the long run... Ripping off a lot of people by using the resources of the big box. Thing, though, it's
1: one thing if, like, I've had people that I've been friends with that done a, when I know they're not going to buy it for me. I had a friend who lives in Montreal. He couldn't buy it from me, but he asked me if I had any ideas. He's my friend, and I did it for him, and I did some pictures. And I don't mind when someone's honest and on the up and right. up. And if, but don't lie to me, okay? Don't pretend. Uh, or the other thing is you're going place to place to place because you think you can get a better deal. I got news for you. It's going to cost the same no matter where you go. So if you think the first person you went to did a good job. Don't waste everyone else's time. None of
0: us like that. I don't understand. The girls at Home Depot don't like it. I don't like it. I don't understand how they have the energy. People have the energy to do that. They like what? 200 bucks maybe? You know? And then you think what they pay for gas going from place to place. It's the time it and takes. the time waste. In it's any case. Whatever. I got so that's everything you wanted to know box. about kitchen design, but we're afraid to ask. But for. all my
1: customers would tell you that I don't rant like this to them. I'm very no, nice you're, to everybody. No, so you
0: save it for your non-work hours.
1: Well, I like all my customers. Ninety-nine percent of the people I deal with are very nice people. In any case. In any case, yes. So it's getting late. We so both I have, have real home.
0: jobs we have to go to in the morning. Ugh. So, you know, we have to work. We don't work. We don't get paid, as Bruce Springsteen sings. So yeah. we'll see you next week. Where we will be talking about something. We will be. Oh, it's my turn. It's, it is your turn, yeah. and I know you have a topic. Do you want to say what it is? Or do you want to No, you, well, you, you, you can wait. look on our website. Yeah, we'll have a teaser. We always have the teasers on the Just website. Just in case. Crime and stuff changes. online. Crime and
1: stuff online. And we hope,
0: to, we hope to see you guys back here next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And, oh, and hey, we haven't done it in a while, so let's thank Sound J for the free theme music. Yes. Okay, Soundjay. J. Yes, All right. Sound J. Next okay. week. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Maureen. Do you guys miss Gas Lawyer with Matt Nichols of Nichols & Churchill in Portland? Well, you know what? So do we. But he'll be back in a couple weeks, okay? Hang in there. Sanjay Sanjay Gupta you you could hear the sucking sound Oh yeah Jesus Christ <laughs> He's not here <laughs>